The Bloody Podcastacre with Zach Walters and Kennedy Catherine. Hi, yes, hello, and welcome to the Bloody Podcastacre, where I am comfy, you are cozy. Together, we are the comfy couch. That is a very Canadian reference. Tragic for Americans. The big comfy couch. Um, Happy Halloween, early Halloween. Um, We are releasing this pre-Halloween because we don't have an episode coming out the week of of Halloween. Halloween. Um, So in the House of Podcastacre, we just celebrate horror all year round, though. So it spooks all the time. Creepy, spooky. Yes. And speaking of Halloween. Yeah. The movie we're doing is Halloween. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it is. You were so like, what? Well, what about I it? thought you were going to ask me a question. I thought you were going to hit me with a fun fact about Halloween. No. my I guess my intro question for yeah. you. What is your like Halloween go-to movies every year Kay. that you have to accomplish? Got it. Practical Magic with okay. Sandra Bullock yeah. and Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. Corpse Bride. Love it. I do not. I have more like fall movies than I have horror movies. Fair. So like when Harry Met Sally, mm-hmm. um, other Nora Ephron fall feeling films from the 90s. Yeah. I, I'm blanking. Give me some of yours. Um, I always watch The Craft mm-hmm, every one. year. Um, I watch Ray Bradbury's The Halloween Tree. You said R and it made me think Rocky Horror Picture Show oh, every yep. year. The, like, first introduction song of Frankenfurter, the one where he's in the elevator, so he turns out today. Oh, yeah. Um, I just felt weird saying it. How do you do? I see you met my... That song has been blowing up on TikTok. Oh, it has been. You're and correct. And so I've just been, like, thinking about that. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm excited to get into Rocky. Not Balboa. <laughs> <laughs> the Rocky series. Yes. And then the other, like, fall movie that I always get into is Stuck in Love with Jennifer mm-hmm. Conway. Conway. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly. Love Jennifer Connelly. Logan Lerman. Kristen Bell is in it. Mm, mm-hmm. The kid from Hereditary. What's his name? Not Alex Wolf. Wolf. Alex Wolf. I always mix them up. Great movie. Love that film. My go-tos. Mm, another great one is Mermaids, the share movie from the 90s with yes. um, um, Winona Ryder mm-hmm. and Christina Ricci. So Halloween, 1978. Do you want me to read the synopsis? Yes. So on Halloween night in 1963, six-year-old Michael Myers inexplicably stabs his teenage sister to death with a kitchen knife. For the next 15 years, he's incarcerated at a mental hospital. On October 30, 1978, Michael's psychiatrist, Dr. Samuel Loomis, and his colleague Marion arrive to escort Michael to his court hearing. Loomis hopes the outcome of the hearing is that Michael will never be released. However, Michael steals their car and escapes, killing a mechanic for his coveralls. Upon returning home, Michael steals a white and expressionless mask from a hardware store, conjuring our very iconic look. On Halloween, he sees high school student Lori Strode drop off a key at the long-abandoned Myers house that her father is trying to sell. Lori notices Michael stalking her throughout the day, but her friends Annie and Linda dismiss her concerns. Loomis arrives in search of Michael and meets with Annie's father, the sheriff, and they investigate Michael's house, where Loomis tells him that Michael is pure evil. He goes to patrol the streets while Loomis waits at the house, expecting Michael to return. That night, Lori babysits Tommy, while Annie, her friend, babysits young Lindsay across the street. Michael follows them, spying on Annie and killing the family's dog. 
Tommy sees Michael from the windows, believing he's the boogeyman, but Lori doesn't believe him. Annie later brings Lindsay over so she can pick up her boyfriend for the night instead. When she gets into her car, Michael appears from the back seat, strangling her and slitting her throat. Soon after, Linda and her boyfriend arrive and find the house empty. After having sex, the boyfriend goes downstairs to get a beer, where Michael kills him. He then poses as the boyfriend in a ghost costume and goes into the bedroom. Fed up with who she thinks is her boyfriend teasing her, Linda calls Lori, but Michael strangles her with a telephone cord, while Lori listens in on the other end, thinking it's a joke. Meanwhile, Loomis begins searching the streets. Suspicious of the phone call, Lori goes to the house across the street and finds her friend's bodies. She flees to the hallway in terror, where Michael suddenly appears in the dark and slashes her arm. Injured, she narrowly escapes and runs across the street, but realizes that she lost the keys. Tommy lets her in, and then she orders him and Lindsay to hide, only to find that the phone is dead. Michael sneaks in through the window and attacks her again, but she stabs him in the neck with a knitting needle. Believing he's dead, Lori staggers upstairs to check on the children, but is shocked to see Michael still alive. She hides in the bedroom closet, but Michael finds her, so she stabs him in the eye with a coat hanger and in the chest with his own knife. She then tells Tommy and Lindsay to go down the street to a neighbor's house to call the police. Loomis sees the kids running from the house and goes to investigate, finding Michael and Lori fighting upstairs. Lori rips Michael's mask off, making him hesitate to put it back on. Loomis shoots Michael six times, knocking him off of the balcony. He walks to the balcony edge and looks down to see that Michael has vanished. Unsurprised, he stares off into the night as Lori begins to sob. A film. So... I texted you this yesterday. Oh, I want to show you a video also of it. So I watched this movie yesterday with a link to a website called Listen to a Movie, which mm. didn't know was a thing, but it takes the audio tracks of the commentaries from movies that you can either just listen to it like a podcast. Oh, nice. Or you can, if you have the patience, sync it up with the movie you're watching. So it took me like a couple of tries to get it like fully synced, but I listened to this movie and watched it. I muted my TV and just listened to my computer yeah. and watched it with the commentary of John Carpenter, who was the director, Jamie Lee Curtis, who was the star of the film. Lori. Deborah Hill was her name? The writer. The writer and like co-creator of yeah. the movie. So it was really interesting because it would be like Jamie Lee Curtis and then it would be like her talking about the movie. They would always give an introduction. Oh, so it was them talking independently, not to each other. Yes. Got it. Can I show you? That's cool. It, it really added something to the movie for me. Yeah. Without it, I was like, okay, I already have seen this. But it was nice to like have like literally like an audiobook of the people who created the movie telling you all the behind the scenes of like every shot that's on film. Right. So this was, I think, released in 2012 when they like put, or not 2012. 2008? No, they did like an anniversary edition right. re-release of like a Blu-ray. Right. So maybe it was 2008. But it was just, it was very interesting. And it made me enjoy this movie a little bit more than... Well, one of the things... First of all, let's just start basic. Do you like this movie? No. I didn't know that. I don't really like it either. I do. In my notes, I have written like the good that I like about this movie and then the bad. I have like very 50-50 split it. Yeah, very conflicting opinions about the whole thing. And I don't have a strong feeling of dislike for this movie at all. No, it's because it's so old and for what it is now, it doesn't hold up. That kind of makes me want to launch into some of my notes. Let's start with the good. The things that I like about this movie a lot, I like that Michael is this like malevolent being shape that like isn't really 
in the forefront the whole movie. He's there and it's like he's always like looming around and he's not like this like center of attention the whole time where we're following him yeah it's not like the rob zombie remake where we're getting his entire backstory yes so i like it because they also like in filming and in the commentary only just called him the shape the whole time Mm -hmm. or um the faceless boogeyman resonates better because it has like this uncertainty of like you don't know what's coming it's kind of like that thing that we talk about sometimes of sometimes when you really face the thing, it makes it less scary. Yes. And I know that people have talked about how it was really intentional that Michael in the originals doesn't have a backstory, that you mm-hmm. don't have a real reason why he's doing what he's doing because they don't want you to be able to relate to him. That was a very specific thing that John Carpenter talked about, that he doesn't want the audience to be able to relate to Michael because he wants Michael to be so off-putting as a figure. One thing that they also said was, now, is there was so much more to like fear about going out. It was mostly like the fear that children were going to face like during the like nighttime of Halloween, is what they like kind of were targeting Michael to be. Oh, he wasn't so, so much a person as, like, a representation of a thing. Yeah. And so I really liked that as well. Because this movie is children. It's all teenagers. It's all kids. There's two adults, three. It really kind of is just, like, a boogeyman story. It is, yeah, entirely. Which is, which is kind of fun. One other thing about John Carpenter calling him The Shape is that the name was borrowed from the Salem Witch Trials and from the judges of those trials who referred to spirits who harm others called shapes. Oh, so it's that's like, cool. that's cool. Like that, they like pulled this like reference from like here. It's very like pick and choose from everything and yeah. like threw it all into one movie. It I, works well and it doesn't. It I teeters have, on the line. I have things that like contribute to how they created Michael, but I think I guess I'll just contribute to like what I like about this movie. The nostalgia of Halloween is the beauty of it for me. So when I settled in to watch this movie and I spread it over like two days, but that first night I like put lit some candles, I got all cozy into bed. And when the, when the title comes up and the score starts, Mm. that is the feeling that I want to achieve every time I sit down to watch a Halloween movie, you know, yeah, not even, sorry, like a Halloween time seasonal movie, not Halloween. One of the 13 movies. (laughs) Yeah. So I really like it for that. And I do like, it is kind of a complaint I'll bring up later. So it's going to be at odds with each other. But I do like the very intentional pacing of the movie. It is both slow and quick at all times. Because Michael isn't really like held back from you Mm -hmm. throughout the movie as this thing that you're going to, there's going to be this big reveal and then all of the action at the end you get him throughout the entire movie Mm -hmm. and you're seeing him and like he is this looming figure the entire time when the action picks up at the end sure we're in it because we're seeing it from laurie's perspective but it's kind of there the entire time and i like that sort of like anticipatory building one thing that they talked about in the commentary is the way that they use lenses in the movie so they shot on like anamorphic lens which is essentially like a very widescreen lens yeah that's why like half most of the budget went towards that yes so the beginning of the movie is very widescreen you don't see them them being michael and laurie close together yeah and then as time progresses the lens that they they change the lens to get like a smaller frame and closer up yeah so you're showing them getting closer as well and them finally meeting 
I really liked that aspect. Like, and I would have never seen found that on the internet looking it up. And I never would have picked up on that. But when you say it, mm-hmm. what a cool addition to things. I know. I feel like this is something that I heard too. And I know that you backed this up with the commentary. There's so many different sorts of like beliefs around this movie and what they were quote unquote trying to say. And I think almost every person who was involved in this movie has basically said everything that you attribute to us in the genre of slasher films or what you think we were trying to say, we weren't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it wasn't this big intellectual thing. It was actually very simple and we weren't trying to make a commentary on anything. For instance, Deborah Hill and and, uh, John Carpenter have both said, we were not trying to make any sorts of claims about the virgin being the person who's going to take down the antagonist. The only purpose of that was that we needed a device, a, a thing that was going to be distracting the other characters and that's why they wouldn't have noticed Michael. Mm-hmm. But because Lori doesn't have that, she's just more aware of her surroundings. But that was the only reason behind it. But the thing is, when you kind of glorify it and put this really like intellectual spin on it, you don't see it for the actual really cool, intelligent things that they did do mm-hmm. like that. The other thing that like I they were talking about with unintentional things is regarding like the female like anatomy being mm-hmm. you know fully out they had no intention on it being this like glorified image of naked women just for the sake of naked women they were doing it because they were like this is like what teenage girls do they experiment they smoke they have sex they do drugs yes. like they were trying to like have like a real representation of like what teenage women were going what not going through but like what experiencing. they experience viewers and like the corn fed cinephiles i love that phrase that is a great phrase phrase jesus uh our friend sophie said it to me and i have just been like living that's a really great way of putting Um, it but like they took it and they like make it this like salacious thing yes and it's just like that's not what that was and then the problem is is because everybody assumes that that is what it is that this is the first movie of its kind and it carries all of those like quote unquote tropes that were set Mm -hmm, up mm -hmm. to every other film can i talk about that for a second of course halloween is really seen as this sort of like genre defining film Mm -hmm. and it's one of the most because it is one of the most prolific horror films of all time it's also one of the highest grossing independent films of all time it's really seen as this this film that that really did something new so i kind of want to like break that down and i think to break it down we kind of have to ask the question what defines a slasher movie Mm -hmm. so a slasher film by definition is a film that features a murdering antagonist the killer is a human being with a compulsion to kill who ultimately ends up with a small or sizable body count and then there are of course the tropes that go into that like the final girl um graphic or creative slayings another one that i saw that I didn't ever really pick up on is that oftentimes slasher films happen in a very, very small amount of time that doesn't allow for any sort of police investigation. So usually like the the killings are not happening simultaneously to like any sort of um, police action, I guess we'll say. So people like to say that Halloween was the first slasher film, but it's it's not. So a lot of people also cite Black Christmas from 1974 mm-hmm. as the first true slasher film. But there are a few throughout the 60s and the 70s that came before that. Um, I would say the most like well-known, popular one that everyone would know would be Psycho. People argue that Psycho was the first slasher film, but it doesn't necessarily meet the criteria. 
Um, but there's another movie called Torso, directed by Sergio Martino in 1973, that is the first to really check all the boxes. And I've never seen it. I've never even heard of it, quite honestly. I don't think I have either. My sort of thing about Halloween is that I would like to pick on this movie more. But it, regardless of what the first slasher movie was, I think that you have to watch Halloween in the context of it being a movie from 1978 and also a movie that helped to build the genre and a movie that's helped that contributing to the foundation at that time is not going to be aware of what it's going to right. do. Like it's yeah. not appealing to all the anticipated nuances that we've come to know and love. And I think just like anything, it comes down to personal taste because while I'm aware of it being an older film, movies like Carrie, The Exorcist, Rocky Horror Picture Show all came out before Halloween. And in my opinion, they have like a more um, entertaining plot or at the very least like a better pacing or they did something that was like a little bit more appealing to the eye. And I also find that it has good rewatch value for all of those movies. Right. I do think that it like was genre defined Mm -hmm. because after that we got people like Freddy from Nightmare of Elm Street. We got Jason. We got every main character in a horror slasher film. Like an antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it is a good template But I do think that we have had now, obviously, better since then. Because as time has passed on this movie, it just isn't as remarkable as something that comes out today. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I think people are super precious about this movie. But the thing is, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Mm -hmm. I totally understand what it did. It's just that in 2021... A consumer who's going to watch it for the first time is going to say, this is boring. Yeah. If you show this to a 16-year-old now, they're going to tune out in the first 10 minutes. I think when we also think of, like, horror now, and, like, specifically slashers, it is, like, bloody mess. Mm -hmm. There is minimal blood in this movie. Mm -hmm. There is one where I think an officer dies in a field. Yeah. There's, like, one or two more scenes where blood is involved. But it's also because they don't have the budget for that. Well, and when you think about it, in terms of movies that had already come out or were coming out around the same time that I enjoyed a little bit more, I kept thinking about, I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre didn't have any gore. It just had more action. That's true. It was just more thrilling in its action sequences. It's also, I find, gritty. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just like that disturbing element where it was out of the blue because it was not in a city. It was like a Randall... A Randall. A random stumble upon of like... In the backwoods, yes. this whole family. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to happen with these people. Yeah. Um, Motivation is always interesting too. Like with that family. With Michael, I feel like you don't really... I don't know. I'm sure some people do. I didn't really care what his motivation was. When it was no. the whole family in Texas Chainsaw, I was like, someone give me a reason. I need to know yeah, what's happened like, here. And like, how long have you guys been doing this for? Right. Like you want some sort of backstory, mm-hmm. but you're like, ah, whatever. He's just going... He's doing his thing. Yeah. A fun fact with like it being so low budget and everything, the oldest people who were on this set were John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Oh. They were both in their 30s at the time. <laughs> everybody else. Well, outside of the older actors. Yeah. Everybody else, including the set, they said like the grips and everybody was like young 20s. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis said that it fully was like a guerrilla film and that Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee and Spears. <laughs> On this week? Of all weeks? I know. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis said that she was the only teenager playing a teenager because she was 
playing a 19-year-old. Nope, Mm 16-year-old. They worked, like, for so long and so hard on this movie that they would end up sleeping on, like, the grips blankets over lunch, like, for the equipment. And Mm -hmm. they, like, worked, like, late into, like, the nights for the shoots. Because it was a super short shoot. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Gorilla, which is spelled G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A, filmmaking is a form of films where it's like bare bones like skeleton crew very small budget you make your own props instead of like buying them kind of like a creep yes or anything that i've ever made (laughs) um (laughs) all of my tiktoks gorilla films yes they're all shot in like real locations Mm -hmm. because you don't have things to build a sound stage and also you usually don't get filming permits Mm-mm. and you just film anyways and hope you don't get a ticket i really like it because hearing all of that like makes me be like oh i can maybe still do this one day like you don't have to have a two million dollar budget to make a movie right and so it is cool to be like they made this back in 1977 78 and here they are. And they, I think that they made it feeling like they had compromised a lot because the original movie was supposed to be The Babysitter Murders. Yes. And it was supposed to take place over a couple of weeks because the budget was so small. They ended up deciding that they wanted it to pay, take place over one night so that it would be minimal location and minimal costume changes, mm-hmm. even though ostensibly, from yes. what I've heard, this the uh, actors all supplied their own clothing. The only people that they bought clothing for was for Jamie Lee Curtis, and they spent $148 for her at JCPenney. JCPenney, yes, I saw that. Um, so, which is crazy. And the Michael Myers mask, they bought a Star Wars Captain Kirk mask for a dollar. Yeah. They stripped it of its eyebrows and sideburns and hair, and then they stretched it out and painted it white. Mm-hmm. Terrifying that people were using that as a Captain Kirk mask. Mm-hmm. But masks were just fucking terrifying back then. But just to finish off that thought, like it was supposed to take place over a certain number of weeks, minimal budget. So when they decided it was going to take place over one night, they decided Halloween because that's the scariest night of the year, which is so crazy to think about the fact that like that's what the entire movie relies on. That's become like the entire lore of this movie mm-hmm. is that it's about Halloween night. That's its title. Yes. And it wasn't supposed to be that. No. And fun thing, they shot this movie in spring. Mm. So all of the leaves are bright green. Except for the painted ones. They painted leaves. And they also had the hardest time finding pumpkins in the middle of March. Oh, no shit, hey? Yeah. That's so funny. Just to uh, the whole thing of like Jamie Lee Curtis. And uh, well, God, you know, this movie became so huge and... I was reading a little bit about, so the new one's coming out, and I was reading about some of the remakes, or sorry, the sequels, and about her decision to do H2O, which I think was the first movie that she returned for. I think so as well. People gave her a hard time about it, because I think at that point, the series had become a little bit of a joke. And um, so I was reading about why she did it because i'm always curious about sequels Mm -hmm. and i just always want somebody to say with their whole chest i did it for the money and she did and i think that's great because basically what she had to say was that this movie was the thing that kind of shot her to stardom and it became this phenomenal success but they made no money on it Mm -hmm. doing h2o finally backed by like this whole franchise was the first time that she was really going to make any money off of this movie so yeah girl get yours you deserve it at that point it's crazy because h2o hypothetically so i went and googled like a timeline map because it kind of was like throwing me through a loop so halloween one and two 
the originals take place like in succession on the first timeline it goes halloween 4 halloween 5 and then the curse of michael myers Mm -hmm. and then there's after it's always starts with halloween 1 and 2 and then it breaks into a subplot another subplot was h2o and then halloween resurrection in 2002 and now we're on another subplot after halloween 1 and 2 where we've got into the 2008 2018 reboot yeah the one that's coming out next week with kyle richards and then the one that's coming out next year which is the finale oh my god i didn't know there was another one coming out next year yeah so where have there's, i been there's halloween halloween kills which is the one coming out and halloween ends which comes out in Oof. 2022 nice but then we had the third movie which was uh halloween 3 season of the witch i haven't seen the second through whatever i've only seen the original the reboots and then the re-reboots okay um, the third one does not include Michael Myers at all. Oh, who's the antagonist? So it's called Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, and it follows Dr. Chalice as he tries to solve the mur- mysterious murder of a patient in a hospital. He, along with the patient's daughter, Ellie, travel to a small town of Santa Maria, Santa Mira, California, and they find a silver shamrock novelty store attempting to use the mystic powers of the Stonehenge to resurrect the ancient aspects of the Celtic festival. Why is this just every Leprechaun remake? Literally, but I'm like, why did they think that this, why did they title it Halloween? Like, why did they put it in that universe at all? It doesn't make any sense. So, on this map, it's like, I'll show you it now. It's like Halloween 3 just sits by itself. (laughs) But do you see how it's like the storyline and they're like, oh, we'll do it again. And then, sorry, the new 2018 reboot goes straight from the first to this. Right. Yeah, the third one. Why did they do that? I have no clue. Now I want to get into something controversial. Okay. Yeah, brave. And I think that some people are going to come for me. Are we ready for this? I I think that you might come for me. Okay, I'm going to, okay, go ahead. I love the Rob Zombie remakes. No, I love them. Okay, thank God. I love them so much more than the original. I separate them. I don't even feel like comparing them. They are two very different because of time periods and because of influences and having, you know, a different director. They are very different. The Rob Zombie ones just do it for me. Me too. I remember, like, that was the first kind of, like, slasher movie I got into because they came out in 2008. And they just, like, I remember they instilled fear into me. I had the same experience. I watched it probably around the time that it came out. And it was one of the first same thing slasher films that I saw where I was like, oh, this actually makes me feel something in a way that I hate but love. Yeah. See, I was scared of Rob Zombie growing up because I was like... He's a scary looking dude. (laughs) I was like, he made Halloween and I'm not going to get into any of these scary movies. Um, But one thing that I like is that him and John Carpenter are actually really good friends. And he's a huge fan of Halloween. That's nice. The original. So before the news went public, he went and saw John and was like, I would really like to talk to you about me potentially remaking Halloween. And that John Carpenter was like all for it, but that he wanted to make this film his own. Just do whatever you want, but like, don't make it verbatim. They discussed that it would be, like, elements of a prequel and sequel kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Since Michael had become too familiar to audiences and he thought as a result he was kind of less scary 
as time went on, he wanted to reinvent him. So he wanted to be like, like Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees and Pinhead. But one thing that I saw online that like kind of really resonated with me regarding like why I like the remake so much is because we live in like such a more explicit world than when this movie originally was made. At the time, the killer just showed up and stabbed you and like that sound itself was horrifying. But now it's like with special effects we have. The idea that we don't know anything about Michael and we don't relate to him is horrifying in its own way in the originals. But I also think that as audiences evolved, that didn't really work in the same way. There's such a horror to finding out Michael's backstory and seeing what his family was like and seeing sort of like the struggles of his mom Mm -hmm. and what growing up in sort of like poverty looked like and his shitty his mom's shitty boyfriend and things like that like contribute to the horror of like the depravity of what happens to people Mm -hmm. i think that appealed to me emotionally as much as the sort of grit of it all did because that is a gritty movie yes it is so dark the one i don't remember if it's in the first one or in the second one that rod zombie made but there was a scene where Michael was going through, like, he was escaping prison. Yes. And he, like, slaughters, like, the security guards. And, like, I remember loving that scene. And then he's in the rain. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the second one. I feel like it's the beginning of the second. I can't remember anymore. That it kind of all runs together. Yeah. But I just remember being, like, cinema. <laughs> I like Cinema, I, baby. I was, like, so invested in, like, the way it was shot. And, like, I'm going to have to rewatch them. Me too. I haven't seen them in years. Neither have I. They really, like, affected my nervous system, so I've kind of avoided them. But I, I think me too. But I'd like to watch them again. Maybe we'll have to watch them together. We'll have, like, a Halloween Ooh, night. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. So, kind of funny thing that I thought while listening to the commentary is the first scene where, like, Lori and her friend are going around walking home from school, I believe. Mm-hmm. They notice that there's, like, something at the hedge. And she, like, is taunting her, being like, oh, my God, like... Come over here, Lori, whatever. He wants to take you on a date. Yes. In the commentary, John was like, okay, and if you watch now, there it is. And it's like this like little line of cigarette smoke. And he's like, I was standing too close to the camera and we could not reshoot. Stop and it. I was smoking a cigarette. And there's just this like trail of cigarette smoke that like goes through the camera frame. It was just so fun to watch yes. to be like, look at this little thing that I get to see that nobody else, I mean, knows about. lots of people know about it, but... You've said it before, and I'll say it again. Cinema. Cinema. We are the corn-fed <laughs> The last thing that I kind of thought was interesting is, and because we don't see this too, too often anymore, in 1983, Halloween was adapted into a video game for mm. the Atari system. To save, like, money, they didn't name anybody in, like, the characters of the video game. So you could take on the role of a teenage babysitter who tried to save as many children from an unnamed knife-wielding killer. And the reason for no names was just to save money on marketing. So most of the versions of the game didn't even have the label Halloween on the cartridge. And that it simply was a piece of tape with the word Halloween written on it in marker. How did people know what they were receiving, though? I don't know. Um, The game contained more gore than the film did. When the babysitter was killed, her head um, disappears and is replaced by a blood-pulsating stream from her neck as she runs around exaggerated. The 
similarity of the film is that the theme music plays when the killer appears on screen. Cool. So you can either like save children or you can go to like each floor of the house. But there's this screenshot I found of the game and it is so like minimalistic. There is absolutely nothing this to this game. This is very 1983. Yeah. So very interesting that, you know, there was a video game, but like, you don't have many horror movie times to video games anymore. Which is funny because um, there was a few from around that time, too. Blair mm-hmm. Witch Project also had a, a video game that came out at that time, too. Well, not at that time, sorry. Um, at the time that it came out. Mm-hmm. And now they just did a reboot video game and I bought it. Oh, yes. Blair Witch. Yeah. Um, but what's really interesting, actually, like, speaking of, like, video games and horror movies is... Now, like, we have, like, Fortnite, we have Dead by Daylight, we have, like, all of these video games, but you can buy downloadable characters, even Mortal Kombat, where you can play as horror villains. So I remember playing Mortal Kombat growing up, and I could be Freddy Krueger. So, like, you can play as these characters, but they don't have, like, a story horror, like, a horror story game. But there is also that Friday the 13th game, which is really fun and terrifying, and I hate playing it. We should play it sometime. Okay, I'm in. You either are Jason or you're a camper. I'm going to be a camper. We both can be like, we'll play campers together. That'd and be you, so fun. And you can like hear the music. It's like, and you're like running, and it's it's terrifying. Speaking of the music, the score was developed pre the movie. Yes. And so they listened to it while they were writing it, which I thought was like, you. I wonder like how that contributes to the way that it was written. One thing that like, as a creative person, when I'm visualizing things, I always usually go for music first Me too. and then visualize something. Yeah. And what? so, Sorry. no, I was just gonna say, I really liked that he took that and went with it. Yeah. And also, his inspirations were um, Argento's Suspiria soundtrack mm-hmm. and the bells from Exorcist. Yes. So. That was cool. It's funny because I have a short story that I wrote a long time ago. It's not that short. Um, But it was, I listened to this one song on repeat while I was writing it. And if I told anybody that those two were linked, that would not make sense to anybody. But if it wasn't for that song, I know Mm -hmm. pieces of that would be very different. And when I listen to that song, it's like all I can think about, even though the two, there's very few similarities, you know? And so it's interesting to think about like what kind of impact that would have made on the process. Um, I was reading a, a bunch of reviews and different people's thoughts on this movie and it just doesn't really do well with modern audiences mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, like like I said, if you put a 16-year-old in front of this, they're going to be like, I don't care. There was this person who was talking about thinking that it was overrated and not enjoying it, and they were just getting sewered in the comments, obviously. But, and a lot of their points that they made, I kind of agreed with, but I, with, from the standpoint of, you're also missing the point that this movie was mm-hmm. such a contributing factor to this genre. Um but one of the points they made was that they hated the score and it was too repetitive. And I was like, whoa, no, 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 no. The score <laughs> is literally, it's so, it's everything. so iconic. And we don't talk shit on the no. score in this house. Oh, so, so good. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have anything to say other than it is fantastic. Um, One thing that I've seen a lot of um, in talks about this movie online and when people are discussing it on Reddit and stuff is people are so curious about where the movie came from in terms of how they came up with the ideas. In part, John Carpenter based Michael on an experience that he'd had in college. 
His class did a tour of a psychiatric hospital where they met people categorized as criminally insane. And in a 2003 documentary, he said, there was this kid, he must have been 12 or 13, and he literally had this look. It's a schizophrenic stare is what it is. It's a really evil stare. And it was so unsettling to me. It was the creepiest thing I'd ever seen just because it's a stranger who was completely insane. And that's what they based um, when Dr. Loomis kind of is like, the blank, pale, emotionless eyes or the blackest eyes are pure evil. That's sort of what he had based Michael on. The second belief was that Michael was based on a real person in a real case, a boy named Stanley Steers. I could give you guys the whole story. I have it here, but I'm going to save you the time and just kind of give you the, the small breakdown of it, which is Stanley was born in 1912 in Iowa. The parents were super excited to have a happy, healthy baby boy, but he was swapped. And so they brought home the wrong baby and another family brought home the wrong baby. Everyone was happier than a clam to get on the road with their kids, not realizing they had the wrong babies. And the one family gets in a car accident and everyone dies, including their original son. They end up finding out this is not their child, um, but they keep him because the other family is dead. The right. nurse the nurse goes to prison, but the family just never really recovers. Everyone spirals into a depression. They become alcoholics. They become super abusive to him because they're resentful. That's not their real son. A few years later, they have another baby. Uh, this time it's a little girl. They name her Susie. And, and you're she- like, and it happens again. <laughs> yep. Does no, it? No, oh my god. I no, was like, no, no, no. I would be like Can you imagine? Just baby swap twice. Susie comes home, the right Susie, and they like that's their whole world now. And they give her everything she could ever want. And they fully neglect little Stanley. He's like the bane of everyone's existence. Stanley is public enemy number one in this house, and everyone loathes him. Um, Remember when you're like, I'll save you the time, but let me actually tell you I'm the whole I'm going to give story. you the breakdown. <laughs> so Susie also starts to basically like physically and emotionally abuse him, and he is not liked at school. He's super bullied. He doesn't do well in school, and she just joins in on the fun of bullying him. So when he's 11, he asks if he can please go trick-or-treating for the first time with the other kids. And the parents say no, but they let Susie go to a party that night. This is the night before Halloween. When Susie comes home from her party, he loses it. He kills everybody. Good. He stabs Susie. The parents are in bed. He stabs Susie, kills her, goes into the parents' room, stabs them, kills them, leaves them, gets up the next day on Halloween, goes trick-or-treating for the first good time in his life. Him. I mean, honestly, good it's for him. It's literally like a hero. A redemption arc. story. So he, he goes uh, trick-or-treating, but then... He kind of like sneaks his way into it's nineteen twelve, so it's easy. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. I mean, at this point, it's like nineteen twenty four. So he sneaks into um his uh, like enemy from school's house, and then kills their family dog, and then kills the enemy, and then kills the family, and okay. he goes back into the streets, trick continues trick or treating, goes to the park, full psychotic breakdown. Cops come pick him up, take him to a psychiatric center. Cut to nineteen thirty six. They've been trying to figure him out because they're like, how did this happen? What happened here? I don't know. Trauma seems pretty typical, but 1936. On Halloween of that year, he's left alone with these two orderlies. The two orderlies start to harass him. He, at this point, has grown up and he is now 6'4 and 260 pounds. 
and they say he has what they believe to be borderline superhuman strength. He snaps the necks of both of the orderlies. He walks out the front door of the prison. Did he escape? Did he attack the guards? Unsure, because apparently the records of Stanley have been buried no one knows. So this whole story floats around for years as the potential inspiration for Halloween. Cut to a couple years later, people find out that there is no legitimate basis for this story. It's probably not true. No one really knows where it started, but you can find it everywhere. Like if you type in his name, it's a story that comes up, but there is no historical record of this. And John Carpenter mm. has never been like, yes, Stanley Steers is what I base Michael on. So no one can really figure out where that story came from. But it is interesting nonetheless. That's all I got. I like that. Mm-hmm. I just want to throw this in here and then we're going to probably wrap it up. Zodiac Killer. Gary. <laughs> Fuck. If my name was Gary, I would call myself the Zodiac Killer too. <laughs> and that's that. So we're going to say we're not going to get into that at all because that is a whole other bag that's of That's a whole mess. That's a whole other Also, bag of I feel like they've found the Zodiac Killer like 10 times. I'll wait to see the evidence. Yeah. I'll wait to fly down, check out the evidence. I'll let you guys know. Yeah. Kennedy's on it. Oh, well. Should we write it? Let's do that. Scary. One. I was going to give it a two. That And that's just out of respect. <laughs> Fair. For no other reason. I said zero, and then I was like, one. Because I panicked also. <laughs> Story. Um, no, unsettling. Unsettling. Zero. Zero. Story. I'm trying to keep the rest of the franchise out of it because it becomes such a developed story. That story in and of itself, like a four. Yeah. <laughs> Were you going to go higher? I was going to say one. Okay. <laughs> I just like... I want to give it some credit. It... It just doesn't captivate. Okay. And that's... I respect it for what it is. Yes. But the captivation level is... Low. Low. And that is that on that. Was it a paper cut? Or, or was it, it a bloody, bloody massacre? massacre? It is a paper cut through and through. I'm going to give it a paper cut. It's a rotten pumpkin. Well, don't get... Listen, don't get hasty. You're right. Rotten pumpkin is hard. It is... A paper cut. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to get... We don't got to get fancy yeah. about it. You're right. You're right. Well, you guys... This has been another episode of the Bloody Podcast Occur. We're excited to join you after Halloween for another episode. So please have the best time. Be safe. Be spooky. You can find us on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast Occur. You can send us an email at thebloodypodcastacre at gmail.com. And I just want to say, where's those emails, guys? Where are those emails? We sent out a threat last week. We did. Two weeks ago. Where are they? Where are the emails? Fed up. <laughs> Until next time. The trick is to stay alive.